Good afternoon, and welcome to the council. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got a frog in my throat. <laughs> I'm Charlie Pacelli, your host, and uh, thank you for tuning in today on Friday, August 16th here, 2019. I can't believe uh, the summer's almost over. Uh, anyway, I uh, just want to do a quick shout-out to KUHSDenver.com. That's KUHSDenver.com. They are the platform here for the council, and uh, we are broadcasting some of the best shows and programs, not only here in Denver, but all across the nation and all across the world. And uh, just uh, really appreciate uh, um, being allowed to program here from Denver, Colorado. Uh, just want to, uh, you know, today's show is just kind of going to be one of those shows where we're uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of different things. Nothing in particular. In one spot, we're going to talk a little bit about the Fisher wound, king, the Fisher King wound, um, here in a little bit. Um, but I just really want to make sure that uh, you, everybody here knows that I've got uh, a new book out. It's called Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. Uh, it's a book that I've written uh, to try to help people to understand themselves a little bit better to help them to get in touch with their souls, to help them to, you know, find a way to be able to reconnect to what's really important to them, their values, their sense of who they are. I think a lot of times uh, we forget that. And in our culture, in our world right now, there's so much going on. Everything seems to be being turned upside down. And at the same time, we're opening up inside of us things that, you know, we, uh, we're, we're becoming a lot more intuitive. We're becoming a lot more... Uh, able to perceive things if we're really if we're really taking the time to do it and meditations with masters of the axial age is designed to help us to be able to connect to that it's not an easy uh spiritual enlightenment is not an easy one all right it's uh, our world desperately needs a profound spiritual resurgence of the deep truths the mystical and philosophical truths that underlie a every major religion there are the universal laws which govern the conduct of the soul and its relationship to existence. The soul is an instrument of truth. Its nature is to seek that which is true, that which is holy, and that which is pure. The soul cannot tell a lie. However, people can and often do. When their conscience, that still small voice which whispers in our hearts, don't do this or do this, is snuffed out by the rampant Unbridled temptations, delusions, violence, greediness, lusts, and deceptions plaguing our societies. We are constantly bombarded on a daily basis with lies, distortions, and betrayals of trust originating from our political leaders, our religious institutions, our governments, our corporations, our business community, our multifaceted diverse media, and from those dearest to us, our families and friends. As a consequence of our loss of conscience and faith in humanity, doing the right thing and living in integrity with ourselves and others is no longer the way we normally operate in our lives. And tragically, fear is the predominant emotion coursing through our veins. We don't trust each other. This absence of trust is having a deleterious effect on our emotional and mental well-being. Anxiety is on the rise. Depression is reaching epidemic proportions. The suicide rate continues to climb, and we have become the most drugged and medicated population in the history of civilization. What has become of us? Our modern society has lost its moral compass. 
The advances in technology, engineering, and the sciences have created a world of instantaneous messaging, YouTube videos, Facebook, live radio, TV programming, Uber, Lyft, Twitter rants by public officials, Instagram, and WhatsApp. People from all over the globe can download information, news, reports, and uplifting means just by pressing a button on the computer on the iPhone. Public shaming based on bite-sized video clips have become all too common. Innocent individuals' lives are being threatened, even destroyed by the vicious attacks made by a sometimes misinformed, but nonetheless a voyeuristic, angry society. Banking can be done simultaneously while engaging a friend or a spouse in conversation while at work or leisure. Our children now spend hours every day playing video games with their friends, each one sitting at home on their laptops, talking to one another on headphones as they do battle in virtual war zones. And of course, there are the larger challenges we must face. Our nation's economic inequality continues to widen. Our natural resources are being depleted. Climate change is happening before our eyes, while first priority of our governments is to continue to invest, develop, and maintain their nuclear arsenals. And we seem to be asleep to the dark, hazardous trajectory this places the whole of humanity on. Why would we want to leave to our children a world threatened by nuclear annihilation? What will wake us up before we reach the point of no return? When will we as a people stand up and say, no more, to the dark forces lined up against us, which we had a hand in creating? All of us did. And so when we read this, this is just the first couple pages of the book. There's much the ancient masters knew that we have collectively forgotten or ignored, and if remembered, studied, and practiced could benefit the world immensely. A vast majority of the sages, philosophers, prophets, and spiritual masters of the epic period in human history, called the Axial Age, 900 BCE to 200 BCE, were not as concerned with what you believed, your theology, as much as they were focused upon how you behaved. The spiritual life is not just about rituals, sacrifices, and ceremonies, but of more significance was how to live an ethical and moral life. The masters dedicated their intellectual, emotional, and spiritual capacities to understand and examine the qualities of the soul, kindness, compassion, courage, temperance, justice, love, trust, hope, and faith and develop systems that would allow their disciples and others to follow a certain defined disciplined path, which would ultimately lead them to making personal contact with the divine, with God. Despite all of our material advancements, we have never exceeded the profound spiritual insights made during the Axial Age, and in times of social, political, or moral crisis, we have often returned to these great luminaries of the past for guidance. Hence, I believe we must do the same thing in our times. So that's just a few uh, paragraphs uh, from the preface of the book, kind of giving you an introduction of why I wrote this, because I think we need to learn from these masters, from uh, people who were struggling, trying to understand how to be able to connect into the deeper truths about life, about how we make contact with that part in us that is connected to everything else. I just recently uh, had a birthday and went to up into the mountains. I, uh, I love to go fishing. And something about fishing does just, I, uh, you know, just being in the mountains. It's not even about going fishing. It's about connecting to nature. And I think it was Henry David Thoreau who said that. And uh, yeah, I just, it was such a beautiful, magnificent day. And just being in that place and something larger than myself and being up in the mountains, 
I don't know, there's does something for you. It, it, it changes the way you feel about yourself and your constitution and getting back into what really is important. Love, and kindness, and compassion are those things that we cherish. And these masters, Lao Tzu, the mystics of the Upanishads, um, the Buddha, Ezekiel, the Greek tragedy playwrights, and Socrates all guide us to that part of us that is eternal. They believed that this was the most important part for us to cultivate, that we came on this earth plane to be able to purify and to strengthen our souls and to bring good into the world. And I believe this book is a contributing, um, I guess I would say, uh, um, support to enable people to really make um, to really make their lives better. You can buy the book on Amazon.com. You can buy it on uh, BookBaby, storebookbaby.com. You can buy it on Barnes & Noble. These teachers have helped me immensely uh, in a time when I was uh, in suffering from a lot of personal trauma and uh, disruption and chaos. It was when I went to these masters that really helped me to unravel some of the mysteries inside of myself and to help get me into a place of balance, help get me to a place where I could understand that I'm a part of this world, but I don't have to be of this world. And that I can give, and what I can give, that's what's going to be lasting. That if I set my goal is to help liberate and, and bring freedom to people all over the world and bring peace all over the world, that's my little pebble in the water. And that hopefully will ripple out into, uh, into the rest or in the greater and wider world. So uh, please check out Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. There'll be more uh, of the launch of this book. There'll be uh, book signings and other places going on, not only here in Denver, but other places around the country. So please Look for it. Buy it. It's a self-help book for the soul. Uh, we also have some other uh, authors here that uh, I would like to share with you. A, a gentleman by the name of Albert Quintana. Uh, was a teacher, and he grew up here in Colorado. He's written a couple books. Uh, teacher Grows Up in Commerce City, and another one, No More Green Chili, uh, by Albert Quintana. He used to have a show here on KUHS Denver. Uh, it was called The Q-Nection Show. And uh, it was very popular. People loved him. And uh, anyway, I just want to, you know, promote him and get his, uh, you know, his work out there as well. Albert is, is doing the, trying the same thing. Everybody here at the, at the station here is trying to do some work out there in the world that is, uh, you know, uplifting for their communities. And Albert is one of them. So uh, he's got a book called Teachers Growing Up in Commerce City, No More Green Chili. And then he's got this new book, The Crockett Lady, which is behind me here. And uh, uh, I don't know what the book is about yet, but it looks like it's if uh, anything that Albert's written, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, you can buy the, uh, the book at www.quintanareads.com. That's Q-U-I-N-T-A-N-A-R-E-A-D-S.com. That's Quintana Reads. Dot com and you can, again you can buy no more green chili a teacher grows up in commerce city and also his brand new book the crockett lady um he's a former teacher from adam city so uh check him out uh albert quintana at uh quintanareads.com um kind of going on with some of the things uh about our own power you know a lot of the things that we've been talking about on this show 
have been to deal with about personal power and about reclaiming that. You know, my last guest last week was Judy Morio, and we were um, crochet, crochet, okay, oh, crochet, I'm sorry, <laughs> I really didn't say that correctly, <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's uh, crochetlady.com. Uh, anyway, uh, my apologies to the, for that, uh, Albert. Um, sometimes I, I make mistakes and I make it on air. Um, so anyway, it's the Crochet Lady. Uh, check out Albert Quintana's new book there at quintanareads.com. Uh, anyway, going back to what we were talking about in the show last week, uh, about you are more than enough. You know, and not allowing uh, other people's opinions of you to dominate and control you and that it's really about the value you feel inside and having a message to communicate to people that they f you feel is strong enough to be able to make a difference in the world and how to overcome self-criticism and doubt and how self-criticism can be so paralyzing to us because it keeps us from taking those steps and moving forward in a direction that helps us to to gain a sense of, uh, of autonomy, of, of being able to self-actualize and to be able to, to uh, create a life that you want to live. And all these things that uh, I've been trying to have with the guests that are coming on is to, to recognize that you are so powerful in your life. That it's not, the power is not outside the world. It starts within you. If you don't have your own power, nobody else does. And that it's your choice as well. Choice is your greatest power. Choice. You even have, you have to choose to love. You have to choose to be a loving person. Even before you love, you have to be, choose to be that. And a lot of times we're not even aware of uh, our potential, of our, of our divine potential when we come into this world. It's not like we're, uh, nobody gives us that 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 command you know we uh we go into uh you know our families and our but we don't recognize and nobody helps us to recognize how how powerful we are and our evolution is dependent upon the quality of the choices that we make in our life and i didn't come to realize this truth until i started making a lot of bad choices and it led me down a, a different path in life and it really uh, the quality of all of our lives is dependent upon the choices that we make. If you make the best optimal choice in every moment for your highest potential, for your highest good, you're going to make better choices. But if you're, if you're not doing that and you're just kind of making choices to feel good, to feel better, your own self-interest, your own whatever it may be, um, you've got to think that through. Every situation, every circumstance, every relationship – uh, brings you towards the opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, um, to bring forth a, your higher nature or your lower. And until you start understanding how you are, there's two natures inside of you. And the idea is to bring those two natures together. You want to bring both of your natures, you want to merge that until they become whole, integrated, balanced, and, and, and one. Oneness starts with you. You've got to integrate you. And uh, you're going to be confronted by your shadow. You're going to be confronted by those parts that are buried deep on the unconscious that, that keep you from living an authentic life. And then all of a sudden, it rears its ugly head, and you've got to confront the parts that you don't like about yourself. 
the parts of you that have that are are deceptive and maybe you maybe you betrayed somebody maybe you uh hurt somebody along the way maybe your capacity to harm and you know is came to the forefront and uh you have to come to terms with that it's not about projecting it out into the world onto somebody else it's about saying you know why what was it about me that i couldn't come up to my higher nature here in this moment what about me that allowed myself to be taken control by my emotions allowing my emotions to dominate and control me. When our life is thrown into confusion, uh, your life plans will get turned upside down. They're suddenly interrupted. Uh, but you got to look at this. Um, you got to look at these things as a, uh, as a contract correction. Okay, we all have a, a sacred contract. If you believe in the soul and you believe in the eternal nature of it, we all come into, into life with a sacred contract. Uh, of things that we agree to do. And we also are given the free will to make the choices along the way to, on how that contract unfolds. Some people you'll meet in your life and uh, you'll have an opportunity to grow together with joy and expansion. And other times you're going to have some very painful experiences where there's a lot of uh, anger and aggression and, and, and power plays and all, and all those things that um, kind of draw out some of the ugliness that we feel in our lives. And when your life is suddenly thrown into confusion, uh, it can be a little bit unsettling. There was certainly, a, a, in my ex life recently, there's been a lot of this going on, where there has been uh, a direction in my life that I thought I was going to be going that got turned upside down. And it was very difficult because I had invested my whole life force and energy and commitment and education and everything towards this goal of, of perpetuating and, and extending this um, mission that I believed that I, was, that I was supposed to be doing. And then all of a sudden that got turned upside down this year. And it was a heartbreak. Felt betrayed, felt uh, disoriented. Uh, where, where was I going to go? Why did, all these issues of, you know, I invested so much time and money and effort and, uh, and now for nothing. What's, what's going to happen now? And a lot of times these things happen because we have to be emptied out. You have to be emptied out of the things that you don't need anymore or that have come to some kind of completion. And it's when we hold on to those things while you're being emptied out that causes you a lot of, a lot of grief. And it causes you to, uh, to, to suffer. A lot of our suffering is self-inflicted. And 90% uh, of it, I would say, is, is self-inflicted. And so it, understanding that when you're being emptied out, that life is throwing you uh, these curveballs, that you just need to, to hold on to a deeper faith, that this is all going for your good that everything is being done for your good, that none of this is done to hurt you, none of this is being done to harm you, that we all on, everybody is walking the same path, but we're all on our own path. We're all on the journey to that place, and, but we're all taking our own individual journey. And that journey is going to have some twists and turns, and you've got to be willing to embrace them. And you've got to look at those changes in your life as they're happening as a course correction that you're moving on to a different level that you're moving on to an expanded expanded level in your life for possibilities for opportunities for new love for um, all kinds all the things that you really want in life and you know our, our contract is probably more about who we're supposed to be rather than what we do with our lives
Um, and I'm bringing up the sacred contract because today I'm going to, uh, I'm having an amazing opportunity to go to the uh, Carolyn Miss uh, workshop that's going to be going on here in Boulder, Colorado uh, this weekend. And she wrote this book called Sacred Contracts, which uh, I've read and have been working on the last uh, six months. Uh, I can't tell you how, what an amazing and fantastic book this is. And to understand uh, how all of our how all of this is related to you know being able to bring out our highest potential and to understand your your the contract that you have helps you to navigate your world and to see life symbolically so that you don't get caught up in taking everything personally it's when we take everything personally that we get stuck and get caught and you know why is this happening to me how could this possibly uh, happen at this time and uh, you know you think that everything evolves around you (laughs) Well, it, it doesn't. The world and the universe operates on its own, and we are a part of it. And we need the universe more than the universe needs us. And we've got to be able to, to, to integrate and to feel a part of, uh, of why we're here and understanding uh, so that we can fulfill what it is that we came here to do. And so it's more about who we're supposed to be, our contract. And uh, one of the things that is I found so profound in the book is that uh, she talks about grace. You know, grace is uh, this this energy, this vitality. Uh, we talk a lot about energy um, in in some of the um, guests that I've had on there, but on a deeper level, it's called grace. Um, the Indians in India call it prana, which is the life force coming in. And the breath coming in, it's, it's how we're connected to that subtle energy that animates all the universe. Uh, in the Asian cultures and Chinese, it's uh, the chi force, the vital force that, that allows us to live, that, that, that gives life to everything. And grace is this form of vital energy that descends from us, upon us uh, from source, from, from God, from the divine. And along with that... One of the things that we're looking for is um, our charism. A charism is a, a, a comes from the Greek. It's a root meaning of the word is gift, and I think it it's something that we're all kind of trying to be able to find in our own life. You know, you you've seen people who have found their gift that all of a sudden they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. You just know it. You can see it. There's something about them that is being like there, – there's a force behind them that's animating them and that gives them power that is not of this world, and you can see it. Um, and my cousin is a prime example. He's, uh, he's, he just took his deaconship over at the Catholic Church, and boy, when he gave his first um, sermon – uh, it was one of the most beautiful sermons I've ever seen or heard anybody deliver before. He was doing what he came here to do. And it demonstrates a special divine endowment, uh, and it's an evidence of the power of God's presence in your life. And it's a unique expression. Every one of us has this charism that empowers you to fulfill, to fulfill your purpose in life, your sacred contract. And it provides you with the spiritual stamina and direction, and it flows into you at the times that you need it, whether you ask for it or not. And one, one's charism was thought to be proof. It was a gift of proof that the divine was invested in you, 
was intimately present in the work one was called to do in this lifetime. And very, uh, one of the words that we have in our, in our, in our regular uh, ordinary world that is rooted in this is charisma. When somebody has a lot of charisma, they're charming, they're engaging, they're, they're full of uh, inspiration, they're magnetic. That is what we're kind of talking about, this charism. And so in order to be able to find this charism within you, because you all have it, you have to find it, though, in you. And you can't allow anybody else to take it from you. And that's the hard part in the world is that you've got to retrieve parts of you that you've given away to other people. And that's not an easy thing to do. It, at times it can feel very selfish that you're pulling back from the people that you love and the things that you love to do. And, um, and, and maybe people say whether, whether there's something going on with you. Why are you being so selfish? No, you're, you're getting to a place where you're understanding who you are, what you're about what you came to do and, and what your purpose is in life. And it's about connecting to that charism, the gift that was given to you by a power greater than all of us. And a lot of the times we get caught in, in people trying to control us, trying to dominate us. And when, what it is is manipulation, okay? Manipulation is when... Someone is trying to make you dance. It's the art of making another person's spirit dance for them, for their own personal amusement. And so think about that in your own life. Am I dancing for anybody? Am I, am I doing something that is going against my nature? Am I trying to do this because I want other people to feel good, and, but I'm suffering as a consequence? Because you might be being manipulated. Or you, are you doing that to someone else? Are you trying to get them to dance for you? Because you, you want to control them in some way. You, need, you, you can't live in that state of allowing everybody to be exactly as they, who they are and love them unconditionally just for, for, for being that expression, for being there with you. And so it's only through honoring yourself do you become strong enough to refuse to dance. Only by honoring yourself do you become strong enough to dance to your own tune, to dance to the music that's inside of you. And this is a deep truth. When you do not seek or need a external approval, you're at your most powerful. We harm ourselves by being what you think you should be so that someone else approves of you or loves you. Any, whatever it may be, or accepts you. When you compromise who you are to gain the approval or love of another human being, in contract language, that's an example of giving away a piece of your spirit. So folks, it's only about honoring yourself. You've got to learn to honor the, the life force that was given to you. That was given to you. Not to anybody else, it was given to you. And so how do you honor that? How do you revere? How do you have the self-esteem to rise up and to say, you know what? The, my life is important. It's important to me. And I want to make this life. It's not, and it's not, it's not special being a human being. We're all human beings. Okay? But it is, you do have something to live a special, extraordinary life. To make your life extraordinary. And to be empowered to do that. 
And you do that day by day, moment by moment. You learn, you have to relearn how to be able to honor yourself, to not let anybody have control over you. So it's all about choice. It's a choice. Do you really want to take flight in your life? Do you want to take flight in the second half of your life or the third half or the first half, whatever it may be? Do you or don't you? <clears throat> and if so, are you willing to let go of what needs to be let go of so that you can? So that's some of the uh, ta- uh, about choice and about empowering yourself and honoring yourself so that you can be the best version of who you are. The greatest thing you can give this life, the life that we have right now, is you. And to take command of your soul, to be who you were meant to be. And only you can figure that out. But you've got to understand your patterns. You've got to understand and recognize some of the wounds that we carry in our lives. And which leads me to the next uh, thing that I'd like to talk to you about today, which is uh, the wound of the Fisher King. All right, the wound of the Fisher King. It's uh, a wound that many men have. All right, and it is a pain that uh, a lot of times they're not able to even understand that it's something that they have because we've been so desensitized in our world to our feeling function, the ability to feel. And I look across our, our, our nation, and we, we have all of these census killings. And it's like the people that are doing these killings, they're just completely disconnected from the sense that these are human beings that they are killing, that they are they're, they're taking their life away, and, and they don't understand the value of They're in, incapable of putting themselves in another person's shoes. They've been disconnected from their feeling functions. And, and then their mind, race, their, their mind and their heart are not connected. And if your mind and your heart are not connected, the, ma- the mind, the ego mind can go off in some really dangerous places, especially when you make somebody another. When you make that person another, then you've, you have suddenly put yourself in a, situa- in, in a circumstance where you think you're better than them. And that can be dangerous. It's led to genocides. It's leading to genocides. It's leading to violence. It leads to, you know, uh, it led to the Jewish uh, um, concentration camps and all what the Nazis did in Germany, uh, Rwanda, other places. And so we need to help men and women, but men get in touch with this, their, their capacity to feel. Now, this is something I uh, wrote about a little while back, and so I thought it was important because of what's happening. And you see, there's no more pain, <clears throat> excuse me, no pain more insufferable than the unendurable suffering of being in the presence of pure beauty, but unable to partake in it. And this wound, this, the deepest in a human being, is to our feeling function. Now, in our Western world, the superior function is our thinking faculty, which over the course of centuries has given us monumental achievements in science, law, engineering, art, technology. Uh, we live, because of our, uh, our amazing thinking function, we, we have a, a profoundly uh, incredible world, the things that we could do that were inconceivable even just 10 years ago. However... This emphasis on the thinking faculty at the expense of the feeling faculty 
created a poverty-stricken consciousness and awareness in the realm of feelings. Our feelings, not our thoughts, sensations, or intuitions, provide us with a sense of value and worth about the people, the places, the things, and events in our individual lives. How often do we hear someone that say that despite their accomplishments and successes, they've got a flourishing career, wife, husband, kids, new house, travel to exotic places, and all the benefits that come with our material wealth, they still feel this emptiness inside. And in my thinking, we've paid a heavy price for the wonderful advancements that we've made in Western society that has produced all these wonderful advancements and the cost has been to our, in our ability to feel. The wound to our feeling function is recognized as the Fisher King wound. And most men suffer from it today. And I, I was one of them. The good news is we can transform this primary of wound in a man through a deeper understanding of this myth called the Fisher King. And recognize that it's a rite of passage from one state of consciousness to another. And then utilize a symbolic approach to bring this lead of our undifferentiated, immature feelings into the gold of maturity. You see, our life is psychological. And the purpose of life is to make psyche of it, to find connection between life and soul. And this was a quote by a guy named James Hillman, who's uh, probably the father of archetypal psychology. And his idea of the soul as a perspective as a way of looking at things from a distance, reflecting on them, mediating between the events that happen in, and that happen in ourselves and differentiating the middle ground. Then we confront with the wound as deep as the wounded feeling function. You got to step back from your individual experience of it and look to the myths at the heart of the problem. Myths are the story of the soul. They, exist, they come from all cultures, all civilizations, all time periods. And they speak a language based on images, dreams, symbols, and archetypes. The deepest patterns of our psychic functioning. And they're found in all the cultures and all civilizations throughout history. Now, when we lift our suffering into the realm of myth, we are inviting the transpersonal powers hidden in our unconscious to reassert themselves in our lives. We're seeking to reestablish a feeling connection with them and thus, through an inner transformation, bring our psyches back into harmony, balance, and health. Only myth or arts can hold a matter as profound as feeling. For the wounded feeling function, and in particular, our wounded masculinity. Let's turn now to what the, uh, what the myth of the Fisher King is. A young promising king rides out from his castle with the banner of armor, amor, for he is in search of love and is willing to sacrifice everything for it, including his life. And as he is riding through the woods, he comes across a pagan knight who suddenly deflects him from his goal for love and union. And the young king reverts to his warrior training, lowers his lance, and charges the pagan knight. In the ensuing battle, the young king kills the pagan knight, but the pagan wounds the king in his testicles, or some version it is in the thigh. A part of the pagan's lance remains in the young king's wound, and when it is pulled out, the word grail is engraved on it. 
The unhealed wound leaves the young king impotent, too ill to live but unable to die. The unendurable suffering of the fisher king begins. Now, in some versions of this myth, the young king comes across a deserted campfire in the middle of the woods at night and sees a fish grilling on the grate. Hungry, he reaches out for it, burns his fingers, drops the fish, puts his fingers in his mouth, and the taste of the salmon wounds him, and he suffers in agony for all the rest of his life, but for the last three days. The salmon is the symbol of Christ, and the young king has tasted too soon the gifts of higher consciousness. And because he has taken it rather than having earned it, through his own efforts, he suffers. When men venture out into the world seeking ambition, power, glory, and fame, without respecting where this comes from and knowing our place in the universe, we are inevitably wounded by our experiences, and we grow sick because of them. The feelings of inferiority, humiliation, and embarrassment for our misadventures in life damage us to the point where we carry this sense of inferiority with us all through our lives. Life loses all meaning and purpose. We feel hopeless and helpless in our efforts to change the circumstances that control our destiny. And feeling empty on the inside, our world reflects back to us this barren, unfertile wasteland where everyone is living an inauthentic life, doing what they are supposed to do without any courage to follow their passions and live their own way. We're unable to enjoy love or beauty authentically, truly, and thus life becomes very unpalatable. The Fisher King wound is in the male, generative, creative part of a man's being. It is a wound intimately connected with his feeling function and affects every sense of value in his psychological structure. Now, when a man is in the grips of this Fisher King wound, what does it look like? Well, it looks like coldness, inability, unfeelingness, inability to make emotional contact with people, uh, unable to feel warmth or relatedness with others. Basically, he is unable to love and feel loved in return. He stands separated from the experience of love and beauty as if he was encapsulated in an impenetrable bubble, a prisoner to his unbearable loneliness as he witnesses the expressions of love and beauty all around him. And he lives in a state of total lovelessness, even for himself. It is the separation in the man from his spirit. Now, in his brilliant play, Faust, uh, John Johann Wolfgang, uh, Wolfgang von Goethe gives voice to the separation of spirit and matter in the modern secular man when his main character, Faust, laments to his audience, I've lost all joy in life. I don't delude myself. I shall never know anything worth knowing, never have a word to say that might be useful to my fellow men. End quote. This sense that you, nothing worth, nothing that you do has any value is this wound of the feeling function. You're emasculated. 
from the generative source of your nature, of the spirit within, by the tyrannical, exclusive hegemony of reason, rationality, and science. Men, as a consequence, have, been, have become disconnected from their souls. We are exiles to ourselves. In the myth, the Fisher King is carried on a litter in his castle where he suffers in agony as his wound grows deeper and his life becomes more unbearable. He suffers alone. This leads us to the problem of loneliness, the worst expression of the wounded feeling function. How many of you out there have felt that? How many of you have been isolated and, lo and alone? Loneliness. I certainly have. Had in my past. We feel isolated, alienated, completely cut off from the rest of the world. Even if we're surrounded by a group of people who love and support us, sadness hides behind the smile we wear. The smiling mask that we wear. There's a nostalgia for something beyond our ability to communicate. A deep yearning for a past somewhere recorded in the memory of our souls, where we had authentic intimacy, connection, and belonging. Loneliness presents the emotions of exile. The soul has not been able to fully grow down and is wanting to return. And where is this place we want to return to? What is that loneliness talking to it about? Is it our childhood home? Is it the womb? Some imaginative perfect fantasy where all our needs are met? The mythical Garden of Eden? The answer to this question remains elusive. We cannot articulate it for what we long for. However, our soul knows and expresses this empty feeling as loneliness. And if taken to extreme, the desperation of loneliness grows into hopeless despair. And one may turn to suicide for release from the pain. Now, the Fisher King wound also severely corrodes and impairs the functioning of two of the major archetypes in the inner life of the man, the king and the lover. Uh, for those of you out there, there are four basic archetypes in a man's psyche. The king, the lover, the magician, and the warrior. And when these are in balance and in harmony in uh, manifestation, they're in their fullest manifestation, a man is at his best. When they're in their shadow manifestation, that leads to all kinds of difficulties and problems. I can't go into all of that today, but I just wanted to give you some basis so that you understand what I'm talking about next. Now, the king energy is primal and has two very important functions. The first of these is ordering. The second is the providing of fertility and blessing. Now, the second function of fertility and blessing is crippled by the wound, since the wound is to the generative capacity in the man's personality. Thus, he may feel unproductive and that all his efforts are pointless to the extent that nothing he does will ever bear any real fruit. This had been a huge thing that I experienced in, in my life. Um, that wound that I had experienced, it seemed like no matter how hard I tried, nothing would produce the fruits that I had put 
out there. Um, and it was incapacitating. Uh, you feel like you're not able to generate any creativity in this world, any, any, anything. And men have to learn to connect to the generative source of their life. Once they're cut off from the umbilical cord, boys, men, they are no longer able to, uh, we're disconnected from the generative function. We have to go out and learn it. Women are, are, are connected to it. They have their moon cycle, they give birth, and so they're, they're still connected to that sense of the continuity of life. Men, we have to learn it. We have to seek it out. And if your feeling function has been wounded, it's going to affect all these areas of your life. Business, private, practice, uh, work relationships, everything. And that happened with me. And it was most acutely felt in my inability to form an intimate, meaningful relationship with, uh, with my female partners. Failure and rejection in the sphere of intimate love severely impaired my ability and my health. And it would incapacitate the other archetype, which was the lover. And so I was possessed by the shadow pole of the impotent lover, feeling undesired, unappreciated, and unwanted, and not respected. And people who are habitually possessed by the impotent lover are chronically depressed. They're chronically depressed. They feel a lack of connection with others, and they feel cut off from themselves. And not understanding or knowing the wound of the Fisher King, it crushed and, and, and affected my life to the point where I was hopelessly depressed and severed from the joy of life the joy of my life. I felt cut off from love. I felt cut off from the beauty that was all around me. Like I was living in a bubble somewhere. And, and I, couldn't, I couldn't break free. And for me, this is how the Kip Fisher King wound expressed itself. I was very lonely and in despair. And what I valued and cherished mo most, I was doomed never to partake in. Now, before we return to the myth and discuss how to approach the Fisher King wound symbolically to bring healing and transformation, I think it's important to recognize that this wound is really an initiation. It's a rite of passage that every man must pass through to reach full maturity. Now, when the wound is opened by some event in life, um, a betrayal, something not falling uh, into place like you thought it would, uh, uh, your life crashing down and falling into pieces, a disaster, like we talked about earlier. That's a, a course correction in your life. But we're so caught up in the wound that, that when the wound is opened by one of these events and is no longer festering in our unconscious, we feel extreme pain and suffering. Now, there was a movie called The Fisher King, which was based upon this myth. It started Robin Williams. And his character, Perry, is forced to confront the pain connected to the death of his wife after expressing his love for a new woman. Now, that pain, it, it, when you express your love for a new woman or a new person in your life, and that, that is not reciprocated or is not given back in the same measure, if there's not an equal reaction on the other end, a vacuum is created, and all the pain in the wound gets sucked up into it. It's all that stuff that we haven't brought up to consciousness. And it feels like a death. Extreme suffering is likewise an expression of initiatory death. 
And so, I, you know, when that happened to me, where I wasn't reciprocated in the times that I thought I was, you know, you know going to be with this woman, uh, it, it affected me profoundly. I would be cut up. I would just want to sleep all the time. I didn't want to wake up. I'd, I'd isolate myself in my, my, my apartment, my home, or wherever. And it, it was that excruciatingly painful. And in the movie, Perry, the, uh, the character that Robin Williams plays, is attacked by thugs. He's brutally sliced open across his chest, which symbolically represents a reopening of the wound. And he falls into a catatonic state, which was another parallel in my own experience, which that wounding left me uh, enervated, my whole life force depleted. And if I'm honest, I, I didn't care what happened to me anymore. If I would have known symbolically what was happening to me, I would have recognized that it was a death was occurring. That the way how I saw my life, the organization that, that I had thought was going to be my life had to be reorganized. And so I had to go through this symbolic death. But I took it too personally. <laughs> so I was caught into the despair of it. And so the natural response to such a situation is to bury it to drown it out with alcohol or drugs or assuage our pain by overreacting to a situation, by committing violence to ourselves, by abusing ourselves or others, because we didn't get what we wanted and feel our love has been rejected. Folks, what's really happening is, on some level, we are rejecting ourselves. That's what's really going on here. And to heal this deepest of wounds, we've got to find the courage and inner strength to turn, it, turn into it, not away from it, and see what it is trying to tell us. You take back what has been disowned. You work with what is rather than what you wish were there. You seek a way through the wound, for a wound precedes more consciousness. And the myth provides us those clues. Now, mythology never leaves us stranded. No matter what a dark tale it may spin, a true myth will lead us out of the dilemma and offer a cure. Now, the Fisher King's Castle is the home of the Holy Grail, the Cup of Christ. And every night there is a procession, a grand feast, and all who are present drink from the Grail and receive what they want or need, except the Fisher King, who suffers in agony on his litter. And the only time the wounded king ever feels better is when he is out fishing in the moat around the castle. And the hero of the story is the innocent fool, Parsifal, who is the one destined to heal the suffering king. And Parsifal fails in his first attempt because he has been taught by his instructor that a knight doesn't ask unnecessary questions. He doesn't ask, why, you know, what is, why are you wounded? Because he does it, a knight and a king doesn't, he's not allowed to do that. And so the Fisher King remains unhealed. And Parsifal's failure is due to his immaturity of consciousness. And it takes him another 20 years of ordeals, adventures, and humiliations before he can make his way back to the castle to finally ask the question that heals the king and the kingdom. He asks, whom does the grail serve? and is instantly made aware of the answer. The grail serves the grail king. The king rises from his litter, healed. The kingdom rejoices, 
Springtime has come, and three days later, the king dies. <laughs> this is such a great myth. This myth is loaded with symbols and shows us how to navigate through the wound if we are willing to stay conscious with it to the end. Because it is a wound to our feeling function. You can't think your way out of it. You can't rationalize your way out of it. It's, un, it's irrational. The cure occurs to us at the deepest levels of feeling. And we shall, as we'll discover, is connected to love and the Holy Grail within you. Now, to illustrate how this works, use a symbolic approach. When that wound was, I'll use my as an example. Uh, when the wound was reopened in me, instead of running away from the pain, I looked into it, it uh, from a symbolic perspective to gain some clarity and understanding, to try to lift myself up from the pain that I was feeling of having been rejected or betrayed. Now, the Fisher King's castle in the myth is the inner castle of every man. That's what it's talking about. You have your own castle around your soul. And that's the home of your Fisher King, of our inner king. And that procession going on every night inside the castle, I began to identify as happening inside of me. Now, focusing on the castle as my home served as an icon for meditation, an image of the properly ordered life centered on the divine. My inner kingdom was barren and unproductive because I hadn't healed my inner king, that my inner fisher king. And until he was healed, I was going to suffer. Now, this inner castle is like a mandala image I use to uh, reconfigure my inner personality. Uh, another image that I used was the flower of life symbol. symbol. Uh, there are other mandala images that I use, and they're healing. Mandalas are intended to guide you back to your center. That's what it's about. And that's in my book. That's one of the things that uh, Ezekiel was uh, looking at with the holy city within he was seeing the, 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 the Israelites returning to Jerusalem with the divine at the center, the holy city there at the center uh, of the divinely ordered life. Now, paying attention to the content of my dreams led me to the realization that I was being united intimately with that part in me that needed to be reanimated, which was uh, my anima. Now, the anima is that part in you that is preoccupied with, uh, the anima is the, uh, how should I say that? It's the projector of your soul, okay? It is, it, your anima is your soul. And because I wasn't connected to my soul, I was, con as a consequence of my wounded feeling function, I wasn't recognizing that I was projecting and personalizing all the things that I wanted in a, in, a, in a relationship onto another person. So she was unconsciously carrying what was in my soul. Or she, uh, the, and so much power was being given over to the, her unconsciously and unintentionally. And if things didn't go the way I expected, I, I was going to be in for a major disappointment. And so Hillman writes about the danger when we personalize personalize or personify. And I think this is a brilliant quote. Others carry our souls and become our soul figures to the final consequence that without these idols, we fall into the despair of loneliness and turn to suicide. 
what will happen is, is that you've got to find this union with your own soul. And that's got to come first before you truly can love another. Now, the fisher king feels relief from his anguish when he is fishing. To fish, in this sense, is to do one's inner work. You work on your dreams, meditation, active imagination, drawing, music, poetry, any form of inner work that is rich to you. And it's ironic to me that one of the ways on which I reconnect to the world and myself is when I go fish, <laughs> just like I did a couple days ago. I love it. I mean, it puts me back in contact with my unconscious, with the trips that I took with my grandfather, my dad. It rebalances my inner world. And this parental connection to the myth helped me to lift my own story into the, uh, to the realm of myth and find the balm to relieve some of my suffering. And I worked with dreams. I meditated. I journaled my thoughts, feelings, and emotions that were occurring when I was going through the wound. I would put my story on paper. I allowed myself to experience in full the loneliness, the isolation, the agony, the despair, the anger, and self-rejection without judgment and without acting out of the wound and doing something I would regret later. I was simply sitting with the wound and letting it speak in the quiet of my room until it had nothing else to say. And let it speak until it has nothing else to say. And then I drew a picture of my Garden of Eden as a way to bring me back to my inner paradise, that longed-for home for my soul. And all these actions were what got me back to this inner transformation and to help me heal this deep wound. Now, the hero in the myth is the innocent fool Parsifal. And Johnson writes that the deepest part of ourselves, the king, can be healed only by a boyish, inventive, capricious, youthful quality. To heal the wound, I had to bring forth the young, naive, teenage boy, smitten by love, to express finally the repressed expression of love that had occurred over 20 years ago. If the feelings were true and the love was not reciprocated, the wound would reopen in order to release all the pain. And by God, that's what needed to happen. It was one of the purest, most genuine expressions when, uh, when I expressed love to a woman and I had to return to that inner castle to this time to, give, to ask the question and receive the answer that would finally heal him and which would bring me to the quest of the Holy Grail. Now, in medieval times, many romantic legends were crowded with knights in search of the Holy Grail, the cup of Christ. A drink from the cup would bring peace, strength, and immortality. And the keeper would also bear the responsibility to use it to heal the hearts of men. Now, the grail is symbolic of an, the authentic, realized life that has lived in terms of its own volition, in terms of its own impulse system that carries itself between the opposites of good and evil, light and dark. A man or woman who has attained it has brought back in union that which has been divided within them matter and spirit. The grail is the fulfillment of the highest spiritual potential in human consciousness. With every wound or trauma we experience, we are being initiated into the expansion of our consciousness and a deepening of our souls. The wound opens, matter and spirit are divided from each other, excruciating pain and suffering is felt. If we can find compassion for ourselves in the midst of our suffering, 
and recognize the grail cream, excuse me, the grail king is not only a veiled description of God, but is also a description of us. He lives within our castle. And that the cure for the wound is found in the answer. The grail serves the grail king. We take this mystery into the deepest part of our being and surrender ourselves to the experience that has no words. We have the courage to see it through the end. And this takes time. It takes time. The fisher king within eventually heals. And what is happening when we do this and we succeed and we come out the other end is that our center of gravity is being relocated from the ego-centered personality to the larger self. A man's maturity comes when he no longer seeks the power, advancement, and desires of the ego. In order for this to happen, a reorientation to the meaning of life is required. You've got to learn it's no longer just about you. We all have an obligation and responsibility to something greater than yourself. In my case, I had to dig deep into the core and identify what it is I valued most. Joy, justice, truth, freedom, prosperity for everybody, wisdom, and love. This wound taught me how to love and honor, cherish, and respect and adore the man I am and the soul that I have within this heart. It's pure and beautiful. And you know what? No one can ever take that away from me now. You've got to have compassion for this inner king, this inner fisher king in yourself. You've got to open your own heart. You've got to learn to love yourself. And that's what this is about. And this self-love can only come from within. And it's finally getting to a place of total acceptance of who you are where you're no longer trying to be something for somebody else in order to feel loved. You have, the, you have balanced within you your light and your shadow, your the strengths and your flaws, your successes and your failures. When you can love and accept yourself completely in this way without any judgment or reservation, the wounded part of yourself can be left behind. For it has served the function in the development of the mature man. Folks, thank you so much for tuning into the council today. I hope you have enjoyed this conversation about the Fisher King, about our sacred contracts, about choices. And again, I ask you to uh, go to uh, Amazon.com or storebookbaby.com, buy the book Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. This is what this book is all about leading you to heal those deepest of wounds and to come to a place where you fully accept and love and recognize the magnificence of who you really are. I want to thank KUHSDenver.com for allowing the, the council to broadcast here. Uh, Henry couldn't do it without you. Thank you for everything and uh, all the people here at KUHS. Amazing people, uh, amazing DJs. Tune in here, please, folks. Uh, thank you for tuning in from around the world. This uh, show is being to listened to by people from over 40 different countries. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We will be back in two weeks. Uh, folks, thank you so much. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. The council is adjourned.
God bless.